What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, guys? Red Nation News Podcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Red Nation Noobs on Twitter. Here joined by Forrest Walker at Do Nots on Twitter. How you doing, man? Uh, I guess I'm fine. I'm a little annoyed. <laughs> Before we get into the Rockets, we have to eat some crow here. Uh, we've been all over the Raptors all season, and we both thought they'd make the finals, and that this Cavs team had no chance in hell. And I gotta say, I'm not even angry. I- I'm more, I'm more mad at myself for buying into this Raptors team again. <laughs> there, look, I, I've I've said this to you before. There was no way to be correct here. You had <laughs> to either you had to either buy into like uh, the evidence of how you saw them play during the season, or you had to buy into just like an assumption that we know psychologically what's happening in their heads and that it trumps everything else. So whatever whatever you decided to go with had an extremely high chance of being wrong. So uh, I don't regret our process i regret that we were made to look like idiots (laughs) like i'm mad at myself for rooting for the pacers to eliminate that miserable Cavs team like from the playoffs like in that game they had a golden opportunity there in game seven like they nearly did it yeah i thought the pacers were a better team than the Cavs. like i I really do they were yeah like they were they won that series by 40 points yeah like like it just it just made a lot of sense to me on a basketball level. Everything but LeBron, right? LeBron trumps everything here. Um, like before tonight, I came on. I was gonna come on here and I was gonna rant about the Eastern Conference playoffs being less than ideal and like we were gonna get robbed of a Raptors Sixers Eastern Conference Finals. But you know what, man? Like I don't want to watch the finals with LeBron. Like like I fooled myself into thinking that I did. But like what we're watching right now. Is just art. Like LeBron is just ridiculous right now, and I'll happily eat crow. Like I, I'm in. I'm thoroughly enjoying this. We're watching one of the two greatest basketball players of all time drag a dreadful Cavs team to the NBA Finals, and I'm just speechless. Completely speechless. Uh, it's very impressive. I don't think it's fun. I would rather he had a good team. Him <laughs> dragging a bunch of corpses and Kevin Love and Kyle Korver around with him is not any fun. It's stupid. It's backwards, and it's just going to ennoble the most obnoxious people out there. So I hate all of this. Everything about it is stupid <laughs> and bad. Uh, the Raptors have betrayed everyone who believed in them, and uh, they're dead to me. I thought I was invested in the Raptors, man, but like it's it's... You're right, man. Like it, it is a little annoying that we bought into this team from the beginning. We were on Raptors Island alone. Now it's life. Now it's Raptors life raft. It's not an island anymore. They kicked it's, us off the island. Yeah. 
Like, the island sank. Yeah, it's over. That that we are on a life raft right now. Um, it's a three zero series, and and to put some context behind this, we're coming off the heels of Game Three, where LeBron just hit a ridiculous floater to win the game, and as soon as it left his hand, you knew it was going in. Like you knew it was going in because it's the Raptors and it's LeBron James, and like he owns that he owns that team, and it's just you. You're right. The psychological advantage is just massive. He seems to have a special hate for that team, too. I think he really likes to put it to them. Uh, I think partially because they are kind of one of the more credible threats. Like, I think actually he disrespects them because he secretly respects them. That's my armchair psychology, at least, that uh, they're one of the only teams that has any real chance to beat them and that people keep uh, keep seeing that. And it's very important to him to make sure to crush them in particular. Yeah, like he definitely respects Dwayne Gacy, right? Like I, I think he's made that pretty clear. Like, yeah, and perhaps hates him, right? Like Dwayne Casey uh, developed a pretty damn scheme in the 2011 Finals to guard LeBron, and like he, it's been in LeBron's head for the longest time, and he's just like given this Raptors team hell every single time he's he's faced them in the playoffs, and. Yeah, I mean, I I gotta say, like, it's I'm I'm getting to the point where, like, normally I'm just like I trust the numbers, I trust like I trust what I see during the regular season and like all the data. I I'm I'm with it, but like I'm starting to like tr- like less and less trust what I see in the regular season. Because if LeBron can do this, if he can coast through entire regular season half like crazy and like get to the finals and drag this team. All the way as far as he has, like, I, what? Why should we continue to put so much, you know, thought into this data that we receive every year and pour through and make our predictions off of? Like, m- maybe, maybe there's some, you know, empirical evidence in it, but like, if I, I think it probably just doesn't apply to LeBron. Like, LeBron just he just owns that conference. Like, and we should just stop looking for someone <laughs> to to trump him. Yeah. Well, and I think a large part of this is that uh, all the metrics can't take into account certain things like you can sort of make them take into account injuries with a bunch of effort but you really can't take into account mentality and we have a situation where there are two teams in the league who just sandbag the Cavs have done it for years and the Warriors are starting to do it now too and they just they just fart around in the regular season and it throws all the data totally off you can't trust any data about a team that's going to give wildly different amounts of effort and play wildly differently between the regular season and playoffs and people like to to say that the playoffs and the, the regular season are two totally different animals, but that's just oversimplifying it yeah, to a ridiculous hi- historically degree. Historically, it has not been that. Historically, the data has been pretty accurate. Like, you, if, yeah. if, you, if you even look at something like point differential, which isn't the most accurate thing, like, like net rating is probably better, SRS is probably better, but point differential, that stat, historically, if you go down, go on through the annals of history, that's been pretty damn accurate in giving us an NBA champion. Yeah, and uh, the teams that go to the finals are almost always the one or the two seed. Almost right. always. Like, this is not advanced mathematics. Right. It's just simply the fact that a really good team is usually going to beat the hell out of everybody in the regular season also. Like, it's <laughs> not like the regular season causes the playoffs, but just if your team is really good, you're going to do well at everything you, play, you do. Uh, so teams don't usually sandbag like this. That's the big deal. That's all that it is. Like, yeah, the their playoff does have things like matchup problems that aren't as big of a deal in the regular season, and you can just get a bad matchup. Like, I sincerely believe the Raptors would have beat literally any other team in the East. Literally any other team. 
But yeah. they had zero chance against the Cavs, apparently. And here's the thing. I think OGN and Obi did a pretty good job on LeBron. Like, as good as a job as you can. Right? Like, I, th- I thought he was, he was well, a they physical. They played him to a tie twice. Right, like, he was physical. He's, yeah, he's really lengthy, and he's big, and he... It, maybe it's just, like, it, it's, it's just a psycho- psychological thing, like, as we were talking about. Um, and you know what? Maybe, like, we should probably abandon the idea that a team without a top-ten player is, is going to win an NBA championship, like... Or like even advance to the finals, like it hasn't happened historically that often, and like we've been kind of waiting for the team to do it. Like I remember the Hawks, like three years ago, like we thought that was going to be the t- the first team to you know prove us wrong and get to an NBA finals. But like I think you might just need a top ten player, like to really have a well, chance. Well, they also keep getting eaten by LeBron in particular. Sure, right? It's <laughs> like he's like the exact opposite of that. That might actually play against other teams. It's hard to tell. The, like these, the Hawks and the Raptors are really good against non-LeBron teams. But when you have a bunch of very good players versus one amazing player, so far this particular one amazing player has won out. I don't know how to say if that says anything beyond that LeBron is the top two player of all time, uh, but. Yeah, it does seem like to, in order to beat LeBron, you have to have a hell of a lot of talent. You have to be the Spurs or the Warriors or somehow the the Mavs. Yeah, the, the Raptors' execution hasn't it wasn't great this series too. So like we can't just we can't just say that you know the Raptors have been good all year and Rap and LeBron just kind of cheat coded them. Like they they played differently in this series than they did in the regular season. Like the, all the beautiful ball, ball movement and body movement stopped. Uh, it, it felt like they went back to that same, the same old isolation Raptors, uh, it's particularly in late game situations. You, you saw them try to incorporate it in the beginning of games, but like when it got down to it, they they just went back to their DNA, and it's just you know, it, it, like you but you try to buy into the Raptors team every year, and it's like they they, they they've just bitten me in the one too many times to really do this again. <laughs> like like uh like I bought a, I bought into the Clippers year after year until the the bitter end. I'm not buying into this team anymore. This Raptor, like I'm not, like I'm, I'm done with this Raptors team. Like someone else can, you know, say this year, this year is different with the Raptors. I'm not. I'm, I'm frankly, I'm moving on. Like I'm looking for the next team that can possibly challenge LeBron. Like maybe the, the Sixers or the Celtics, but not this team. This team isn't clearly isn't going to do it. Uh, yeah, and it's what's really grim is that two of these games. They won by the first one by one point in overtime. That probably sh- they should have won because there was like a bad call there. Mm-hmm. And this one that they like lost by two points at the very end. Yeah, they're extremely close in two of those games. Like if they, I feel like the worst case scenario is if they lose the the next one by like one point as well. So they knew they were right there, right <laughs> there, and just couldn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's. It's incredibly demoralizing and grim, and I I don't see any reason why the Cavs wouldn't just take care of the Celtics, uh, despite the fact that the Celtics are really good, but I guess they're really hurt. And just to just to make everything as maximum stupid as possible, the the Cavs will go back to the finals and get just absolutely clobbered. Yeah, listen, like like I I'm actually looking forward to it because I do not want to see the Celtics go on to the NBA Finals. Like that that's something I I, I sh- like I don't want I didn't want to see this Cavs team. Going to the NBA Finals, but I sure as hell do not want to see this ca- this Celtics team go on to the NBA Finals. Like, let's move on to the Rockets. Uh, we spent ten minutes Good. on this topic. <laughs> it it's worth it. All right, the Rockets. Hey, the Rockets are actually good. Yeah, I'm glad we're doing this podcast after Game Three and not get after Game One or after Game Two because we probably would have overreacted either way. Like either way, g- Game One or Game Two, 
Do you want to know who's overreacting? I'll tell you who's overreacting is all the predictive metrics, by the way. Uh, all, all the all the, like the, the 538s and like the SRS and stuff like that, they are all giving the Rockets crazy odds right now of winning a championship. It is truly astonishing. Yeah, I mean, listen, they've been... If you look at the metrics and if you look at their, their win total and you look their record, everything, like they've been the best team in the playoffs. And I I looked at I looked at the data last night and it was pretty it, it it threw me aback because it felt like the Warriors had had this on lock but like I, I'm guessing the last game really swung it huh like the Warriors got blown out by the Pelicans and the Rockets blew out the blew out the Jazz and the data went completely the other way and <laughs> like, the Jazz are a better team than the Pelicans by a decent amount too sure yeah so the the, the Rockets have been playing better teams than the Warriors too so that 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 does go in their favor. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if you look at the way the Rockets have performed in the in the postseason, it's been their regular season metrics have translated pretty well, like yeah. pretty pretty damn well. Like offensively, they're the best team in the NBA in the playoffs. Defensively, they're second best team, which shocked me that they've been that good. I mean, I mean, if you if you look at it game by game, it makes sense. I mean, the first round they were really great. We talked about it all all round. Offensively, they struggled, but. It, this round, it really felt like the last couple of games, combined with the last game in particular, got their offensive rating back up. And they looked like the same old Rockets, man. They looked like a dominant team. They looked like a 65-win juggernaut. Yeah, uh, honestly, after the worrying Game 2, Game 3, pretty much convinced me that they're coming out of this series. Like, it, Are, it you might take Are you off the cliff? No, I'm never off that ledge, but they're going to win this. They're, they're, they're almost certainly going to win this series. I mean, the Jazz might take another game. Uh, I think they might win one more, but I, you know, I'm not going to give them a short shift. They're a really good team. They're probably the third like the third or fourth best team remaining in the playoffs still, but uh, they are, they're not going to beat the Rockets. The Rockets have a, win, 2-1 advantages. Not amazing, but it's quite good when you consider the the Jazz now have to win three out of four the rest of the way. Uh, if the Rockets get out there, so my big thing is that if the Rockets get out there tomorrow and they just uh, go at the Jazz hard, that's a really really good sign. Right. Like I think we can both agree that the Jazz, the Utah Jazz, are like a really good team and they'll put up a fight. But the Rockets will probably like handle them like in like less than seven games. Like it's it's gonna be. Like if if it goes to seven games, I'd be thoroughly shocked. Like Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach, and he made some smart adjustments in game two by slipping the ball screens and coaching the Rockets defense off guard. Like and but like the Rockets are just better. Like they're just better and better in almost every aspect of basketball. Like this is a simple case of the Rockets are a sixty-five win ball club, and the Jazz when they're at full health, they're probably like a fifty-ish win ball club. Right, like maybe the, fi- maybe fifty four or something, yeah. But they're right. in like the low fifties. Right, like now, now the Jazz miss Ru- Ricky Rubio, like, and that's clear because they don't have anyone who could properly guard Chris Paul and James Harden at the same time with quality defenders. Uh, Dante Exum's been good, but Harden's having himself like a hell of a series and frankly a hell of a playoffs. Like I tweeted out his his, his metrics in the morning, but like. 30.4 points per game, 8.4 assists per game, 5.3 rebounds per game, 2.1 steals per game, 0.9 blocks per game, 58.6% true shooting, and a plus 10.5. The guy's been amazing in the playoffs. Like, in my opinion, and, and I'll go ahead and ask you, I think he's been the second best playoff performer in the NBA. Uh, 
Yeah, he's been incredible. Uh, it's it's him and LeBron, just like in the regular season. Yeah, it, it's like, and the Rockets turn into a flaming pile of dog on offense when he leaves the floor. Uh, and this has been a problem with the Rockets since the All Star break. Chris Paul is not a is not done a good job treading water when Harden sat. He doesn't have to build leads or anything, but like they just can't consistently blow them and force Harden to check back into the game early. Like. Some of this may be rotation-based, like when when Harden sits, Nene and, and, and Gordon usually enter the game, and both of them have been pretty mediocre in the playoffs, aside from like a couple games here and there. Like, ga- game three especially, like they were really good. But like, the drop-off from Harden and Capella to Gordon and Nene is just massive, and that's probably why like the, the units without Harden have been really bad. Like, Chris Paul does have to step it up, but I do think there's some rotation stuff going on. Yeah, uh, that's probably true. I'm glad that Eric Gordon did look better in the last game. Uh, in game three, he looked he looked a lot more like what the Rockets needed him to be. Right. He shot like 50% of his shots from deep. He was like 60% shooting overall, I think. He was good. He hit, he hit his shots. He was playing more within himself. He wasn't doing as many weird runners and stuff. Uh, so that was really good to see. Eric Gordon has to be good for the Rockets to have a high ceiling. Right, yeah, he scored twenty five points. He had four threes, like just a monster performance for him overall. Uh, he looked more aggressive, looked quicker. Like, like I don't know if, if that makes sense, but he definitely looked like he had a spring in his step to start the game. Um, and he looked like he want he was he was going to attack all game. And he went to the rim and he shot his threes and he he didn't hesitate, which was a problem for him earlier in the playoffs. But yeah, he showed up in game three. Hopefully he comes back down like he's been kind of inconsistent all playoffs. Like he's had really highs like in the Timberwolves game. I think he had a really great game three or game four. I can't remember which one it was. Um, it was when the Rockets went down big in that first half and then came back. Uh, do you remember the game what I'm talking about? Do you remember oh, yes, it? yes. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. yeah. That was, I think, game four, wasn't it? Yeah, so uh, Eric Gordon was good in that game. And like he's had high, really, really high highs. But the lows have been miserable, man. Like it's, like it's it's gotten to the point where he gets unplayable because he hasn't been a great defender. He's been fine, but like in general, his plays definitely dropped off from the regular season to postseason. But yeah, it was good to see him have that game four, that game three. I'm sorry. And Clint's been a monster in the playoffs, and he's so good. Yeah, I was. I was losing it. There was that one sequence where uh, where he came back to to block. I don't know, remember whose shot it was. I think it might have been Gobert's. But uh, yeah. he like switched on two Derek different Favors. guys. Oh, yeah, it was Favors. Yeah, right. he switched on like two different guys during a defensive sequence, then recovered to to block the shot at the rim. It was amazing. Clint Capella is a beast out there. He is going to get so paid this next year, and he he deserves every penny of it. Yeah, listen, I'm not I'm not sure what kind of contract he's going to sign this this summer, but he's making the decision to match any offer he gets a lot easier by the day. Yeah. Like 16 points per game, out. 13 rebounds per game, 2 blocks per game, 64% true shooting and a plus 10 in the playoffs. Yeah, he, he's dominated Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. Like consistently, not just like not just like in one game here and there. He was consistently better than both of them. Those are two of the top five centers in the NBA. Like it's that's that's nuts. Like that is nuts. Two of the top five centers in the NBA, arguably that Clint Capella has dominated. Like and that's 
Like that's nuts. Like that. Yeah. He's been so important to Rockets' defense. Like his defense has improved dramatically from where he was last year and this year. Like, um, yeah, amazingly. Yeah, like, like last year he was he was kind of eh. Like he was fine. Like he was he he wasn't where you wanted him to be. Yeah, he was a guy that seemed like he would be a great defensive anchor, but wasn't there yet. Like mm-hmm. he was a dude that, people, that a lot of people would assume is already there, but wasn't. This year he's there. Yeah, like like last year he like he had the shot blocking, and he was he was always a great switch defender. Like he was always great at switching on the guards. Like this was a talent. Like we noticed early in his career, uh, you saw those flashes. But putting it together with the rim protection, like this series has been it's been it's been fun. Like you really get to see, you really get to watch a player, especially on a team this old, like grow like this, like year after year, game after game, consistently improve. And get to the point where Mike D'Antoni trusts him to play late in the games. You remember that was a, a problem last year where Nene would play, would close out games, and Rockets fans on Twitter would lose their <laughs> And like, <laughs> and now it's like it's gotten to the point where like if Clint Capella leaves the game, like it's it's just for rest purposes. Like Mike D'Antoni fully trusts him, and he's and he, you you hear you hear him singing his praises after games, and he's he's earned every bit of it, man. The guy's been dominant. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, of when Draymond Green had his big takeoff year. Like they just found this guy who turned out to be fantastic because of internal growth. Uh, he's an amazing player. He plays exactly in his game. He's certainly all right. Like he's certainly helped out by the fact that James Harden and Chris Paul are on a team with him. Sure, yeah. you know there's there's a lot of load being carried, but like. Uh, Kevin Durant is not right. <laughs> Clint Capella does a lot. He's an anchor for that team. Uh, he is one of the best players in the league, and he's he is dangerously close to becoming a star. Right. Like I mean, and like it's it's okay to be a star within your role. Like Draymond was like this, right? That first year, like like he was put in a really great situation too, surrounded by uh, Clay Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. Uh, and now Kevin Durant, like it's it's fine to be a star within your role and be a really really great player and be in a really great situation. Like I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But you're right, it, it definitely is aided by the fact that he's playing with two of the five best passers in the NBA. Like he's definitely like Chris Paul and James Harden are really great at finding him, especially James Harden in particular. Like James Harden and him have excellent chemistry, like excellent chem. Like Harden trusts him with some ridiculous passes that like. <laughs> You probably shouldn't be throwing to him. Like he'll throw passes to him in transition and trust him to run the break, like with like three guards in front of him. And Clint Capello will euro step his way into a layup, and like that's just impre- that's just something other bigs don't do. Like I I like the comparison of Tyson Chandler, like of a young Clint Capella, like but like he might be better than Tyson Chandler in, in other aspects. Like Tyson Chandler didn't run the floor like this. Like, he absolutely did not run the floor like this. Um, he didn't have, like, just the mobility on the perimeter that Clint Capella has. I, I, it's just been so fun to watch how much of a freak this dude is. Yeah, he uh, he has really improved his stamina as well. Yeah. Like, he had a problem playing 30 minutes plus, and that seems to have resolved. He is having no problems anymore. Like, he's, I don't know, there's no part of his game that he has not improved, like, above and beyond expectations i guess he could be shooting threes but honestly i don't even know if they need him to i don't think oh it would even help anything if he could shoot threes like there are plays like you see during a game where gobert completely backs off of him into the paint like you see him 
completely backing off of Capella. He's like, you know what? This guy's not. He can't even shoot mid range jumpers. Like, if he could just develop a nice mid range two. And I know John Lucas is working on this with him. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that this is in the works, right? Like, I think Rahat Huck <laughs> talked about this on his podcast. Like, there's, I, I just, I have, there's no doubt in my mind that John Lucas and the Rockets, this particular organization, would love him to take that step in the future. Now, that's still a ways away, and for for the time being, he is an excellent star within his role. And like it's like it's gotten to the point where like the Rockets don't even play small ball units anymore. They they're very comfortable with him closing crunch time units with with they're okay with playing big because they like that they like that pick and roll threat out there. They like that lob threat out there because it opens up so much stuff for them. Like Chris Paul gets a bunch of mid range jumpers because of Capella's gravity. Like like you would not believe the amount of open mid range jumpers Chris Paul gets because a defense is. A defender is afraid to sag off of him and help out, and and Clint Capella is back there for lobs. Like it's not even just like a, a consistent, you know, with with the ball in his hands thing. Like he doesn't need the ball in his hands to have gravity. Like he's like a very much a vertical spacer in the truest sense of the word. Yeah, he will catch any lob too. It is yeah. awesome. Uh, watching Clint Capella is an absolute joy. Uh, and I th- like, despite the contentiousness of some of the Rockets players, you know, James Harden and Chris Paul, a lot of people don't like watching their games. I don't know who is not liking uh, Clint Capella. I think he's pretty universally liked anyway. He's a young guy, hasn't had a chance to, you know, he hasn't been dominant enough for people to hate him yet. He has a fun game that involves a lot of dunks and rim running, a lot of uh, a lot of awesome blocks. So he's uh, he's kind of the golden boy of the Rockets franchise right now, and it's well-deserved. And probably most importantly, like he understands what he's good at and what he's not good at, right? Yep. And like, <laughs> like he this, does only that, yeah. right? And this this was a this was a real problem with Dwight, and and I don't want to get into Dwight again because that's that's over and done with, and like I, it's just it's annoying to relitigate that. But this was a problem with Dwight, right? Like Dwight wanted to wanted post up possessions, he wanted to slow the slow the game down just to get garbage possessions where he scored like point eight points per possession it just wasn't efficient it wasn't worth the Rockets time he didn't play enough pick and roll he didn't set enough screens for Harden and like Clint Capella knows what he's good at he he understands what he's good at he does what he's good at and he's gonna get paid because of that like he understands this is what's gonna get me my money like the the, the Rockets are gonna pay me because they know they know I know what I, I know what I'm doing right and I that's just a, a real sign of maturity for a 23 year old with a lot of growth, with a lot of growth and potential in front of him, like we'll probably see his best years, maybe even in two years from now. Like he, he might still be far away from his prime. He, he's probably has an athletic peak right now, but in terms of putting it all together, like we might not even be there yeah. yet. Yeah, he's probably yeah. Usually, that's how it works. At about twenty five, twenty six is when uh, athleticism and skill kind of hits the the biggest total between the two of them. So yeah, he's probably a couple years out from his best season. Yeah, and he has like a little quirky personality, like like, and I, I, it just makes it really likable to fans. Like, acapella with Capella is hilarious. <laughs> like, Fashion Capella is good too. All these yeah. little things. He's the king of uh, like in arena interstitial segments. Yeah, I mean, like if you just like first, like you t- you said it best, man. The dude is just a lovable personality. Like it's it's not even just the little segments they do with him, but like. You see clips of him at practice doing goofy stuff, and like the Rockets love him. Like, like 
Like you hear like people, you hear the Rockets making fun of him during press conferences. Like Harden and and and, and Paul always make fun of him uh, during pressers, and like you can tell like he's just a great chemistry guy, a great glue guy, possibly the Rockets' best glue guy. Yeah, uh, they've got a lot of those this season too. This this team is really really good. Uh, I am very close to buying in. I just need to see them hit some threes. <laughs> that's my that's my whole thing. Is that that's it? my entire thing? Okay, yeah. so so let's talk about this. So after game two, you you were in a dark space there, like after game two, because you wanted them to be like invincible in the playoffs, right? To a point where you can trust them to go up against the Warriors and legitimately compete with them am i correct in what you were thinking uh yeah basically that in order to to really feel good about them they need to look pretty much unbeatable right and i argue that they don't need to be unbeatable they just need to be as good as they possibly can and good enough to where you trust them to be a threat against the warriors right and i think they've gotten to the point where like I, I i still don't think there's anybody out there that poses a threat to the to the Warriors like the Rockets do, and they've been good enough to for to me in the postseason at least to where I I still think Rockets Warriors in the conference finals is going to be a beast of a series. Oh, they will they will be the best team that the Warriors have played since Steve Kerr came on as coach. Probably uh, right, but that's still. It may not be enough. That's that's my concern, especially. And here's my big deal, especially if they can't shoot at least thirty three percent from three, they have to consistently hit at least thirty three percent from three. And they have been bad this playoff so far, much like they were last playoffs. Uh, they seem to their shooting seems to fall off during the playoffs. Uh, it does kind of seem like it's just kind of variance right now. I know the Jazz are a really good three point defense team, so they're being run off the line a little bit, but. I want to see them shoot well from three for a couple of games in a row before I start buying in more. Well, does it really matter if their offense is still great? Like, if if they're not shooting well from three, like, in your opinion? Uh, Yes, because while they may score 116 uh, on the Warriors or on the Jazz and be able to beat them when they score 116 on the Warriors, the Warriors are liable to score 120. So you need, to be, you need to lift up your offense and your defense even further. The defense has lifted it up recently. I'm buying into the defense as much as the defense can be bought into, but I need to see them hit more threes. Yeah, their defense is still shocking to me. Like we talked about on the last podcast, like they've been like from regular season to postseason, they're on a totally different level. And maybe it's because they're playing some underman, you know, underman teams. Like Jimmy Butler was was injured, and you could totally tell he was himself in that first round. And uh, in this round, they're playing with that Ricky Rubio, who was a pretty consistent positive force for the Jazz. Um, so maybe it's just that, but they, in general, I, I just think they've been really impressive defensively. So I'm with you. I, I'm fully bought into the defense, and I'm, I'm, I'm there with the offense, man. Like as long as, as long as the Rockets are like getting good actions, and it doesn't matter if they're really making it in my. As long as like defenses are still trusting them to make it, like as long as they're still getting that consistent respect and that consistent spacing, it just doesn't really matter to me. Maybe it's just me. Like as long as someone's still shading there and making a tough decision, should I cover this guy? Should I leave this guy? Or should I cover help cover this pick and roll in the middle of the floor? I still think they're going to get really great offense. I mean, I think there is a certain point at which if if the Warriors' offense is 
is running well enough, uh, and the Rockets are consistently shooting under 33% from three-point range, then the Warriors can just say, you know what, we're just not going to worry about those threes. Well, in the regular season, uh, did you have the numbers on you as to what they shot against the Warriors in those games that they won? I don't. I can pull them up. All right. Uh, I have them here. No, yeah, I have them here now. Okay. So the three games that the Rockets played against the Warriors in the regular season, uh, they shot in the first game, which was a narrow win on opening night, they shot 36.6% from deep. It was 15 out of 41, which is uh, right on target for what they want to do. That's right about as many threes as they usually shoot per game. Uh, and that's a little bit better than their average percentage, but within sustainability. The second the second time they played the Warriors, uh, they lost by 10 points. That was one where they didn't have uh, James Harden. They shot 15, 17 out of 50 at 34%, which is also right in the range they want. And in the last game against the Warriors, they won 116 to 108. And uh, from the three-point range, they hit 14 at 37 for 37.8%, which is a little bit low in attempts, but a little bit high in percentage. Okay, so that's about that's, that's pretty on-brand for their percentage throughout the season, though, right? Like 36%? Yeah, they have around 36% most of the year. Yeah, so I, I, I don't understand. Like, like, so what are they shooting right now in the postseason? They are shooting 35%. So what's, what's wrong with that? Well, they've been shooting lower than 35% lately, though. Uh, yeah, that's actually better than I thought. All right, so I, I am concerned that they're shooting a lower percentage against the Jazz. So uh, hopefully that is just a problem with the Jazz or just variance. I just want to see them shoot a little better more consistently. They just they just can't go below 33% and win games against the Warriors. Okay, I, I, uh, agree, I agree with the consistency, though. That's been a real thing for the Rockets. Like They've been a little bit up and down in the playoffs, but they... They seem to have settled it down, like in the second round. Like they had two very great games against the Jazz. Uh, that second game wasn't great, but you, you're gonna get a game like that against the Warriors, where think shots aren't falling, and you know your defense just isn't isn't great because you're playing a, a really great offense who likes to move the ball and likes to swing it, likes to slip ball screens, which was a real thing against the Jazz that uh, Quinn Snyder exploited, where they would fake a screen and then they'd slip. Just before that screen was really initiated, and it it confused the hell out of the Rockets. So the Rockets like to switch everything on defense. So when when they fake the ball screen like that and slip, like the the Jazz got a ton of open dunks on Rudy Gobert in that in game two, and that's the thing that the Rockets talked about that they talked about correcting, and they did it in game three. But oh you, boy, did they! Yeah. yeah, like in, I think this is a perfect warm-up series for the Warriors because the way they the war the way the Jazz like to play where they swing the ball side to side and they um they do a lot of slips on ball screens like that's a great warm-up for the Warriors that's what they're gonna do the, the Warriors are a ball movement body movement offense that like to slip screens they like to do a lot of different creative stuff on offense they're very they're very egalitarian and that's exactly what the Jazz are the Jazz are just a little bit slower at it they like scoring <laughs> towards the, the Go ahead. Yeah, they're a good practice run. <laughs> they're just a slightly slower version of the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, they're just they're a little bit slower in that their actions finish in the low in the late shot clock, and the Warriors finish pretty much in the first eight seconds. Like in the first eight seconds, the the Warriors are going to get a quality shot, and it's pretty much the opposite for the Jazz, where like it's the it's the bottom eight seconds. But 
if the Rockets could, could, could control the pace to a reasonable level in the second round, I mean, in the Western Conference Finals, they're in it, man. Like they're in it. They're they are in it if they can if if they if they learn if they pick up these lessons against the Jazz. And you know, I'm glad that they got beat on on slips against in Game Two. But if they pick up all these lessons and facing a defense like this, it's a great warm up. Yeah, there's something you said for for playing a team that makes you have to uh, clean your clean your act up and get it together a bit. This is, I think, like I said, a really good warm up team. Not just because they play a little similar to the Warriors, but because they're just a good team. Uh, and so playing against a good team forces a, you to have to and a good to, defense, a great defense. Yeah, uh, which is funny because people are saying, "Oh, the, the Spurs will be a really good first round matchup for the Warriors because it'll make the Warriors work a bit." Except they didn't. <laughs> so that this is weird to say, but I think a lot of how the conference finals goes, assuming the Rockets and Warriors both make it to the conference finals, which is pretty likely, depends on how much the Warriors are still sandbagging. And once again, we don't it's hard to tell with them, right? There's been so much like discussion of how much they're they're caring, how much they're actually working at it that even right now, does it feel like you have a good handle for like how much effort they're giving? Uh yeah, I, I think they're I think they're about eighty percent. Like, if I were to put a percentage on it, which is, you know, reasonably high. Like, like in the regular season, they were about seventy, and I think like they're you know they won game they won round one in five games, and they're on pace to do the same in round two. So I mean, like, I don't know how much better they can really reasonably get from now until the conference finals. Yeah, I think we just don't know. I think it's just hard to tell how much they can get better. Right, it might be a lot. It might be that they just haven't cared about any opponent yet, and that they are just when they see the Rockets, they'll just uh, put their game faces on. And they have a lot of out. disdain for the Rockets. Like the Warriors yes. do not respect the Rockets at all, and, and it's not just them; it's their fan base. Everything about everything about the Warriors, they do not respect what the Rockets are putting out. At the beginning of the year, Draymond Green had this great interview uh, where he talked about uh, Daryl Morey's quotes about. You know, oh, there have been greater upsets in NBA history, and Draymond was just like, "What the f- are they talking about?" Like, like you know, like like the, 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 that's the <laughs> yes. kind of that's the kind yeah, of reaction they, he had. Yeah, they seem offended by the idea that the Rockets think they can do this, which uh, they probably shouldn't let the Rockets have the number one seed if they didn't want to give them that. But uh, be that as it may, it's hard to tell how it's going to be. We still don't really know how much uh, Curry's injury is going to hinder him. Uh, we. Don't know how much like weird malaise they have. We don't know how much like Clay's thumb's gonna bother him. Actually, we do. It's not bothering him at all. He's scoring a billion points per game. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there are some question marks there. So we. I think is... Steph is a great is a great question mark. Steph in his knee and how much it's recovered by the Western Conference Finals. We talked about it before the se- before the playoffs started. That's gonna be a real bellwether for everybody involved, for the Warriors and how great their offense is functioning. For the Rockets and how much they have a chance against this team, like it's it's gonna be a, it's a game changer. We we've said it a billion times. The Warriors are not the Warriors without Steph Curry at 100. percent They just aren't. Yeah. They're a totally different team. Yeah, uh, and they have to get right because the Rockets are assuming they beat the Jazz, which is a once again not done yet. They haven't beat the Jazz yet, but they're well on the way. Uh, Assuming they make it there, they're going to be coming at them full speed. So it should be fun to watch unless it isn't. I mean, so my official stance right now regarding about if the Rockets can beat the Warriors <laughs> is uh, nobody can beat. Like, the Warriors are unbeatable unless they're not. Listen, when we do our picks, like, I'm not going to blame you at all if you pick the Warriors. I'm picking the Warriors, right? Like, 
I, I'm we're we're all we're all on the same page. Like I just I think I think to, like when this when the postseason started and up until this point, you kind of drifted to the opposite direction. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I I'm never gonna pick against the Warriors, but my degree of certainty is extremely low. Like the thing that I think Matt Moore likes to do where they put like a percentage like of certainty on their prediction, like how good they feel about it. Uh, I would pick, I'm still going to pick the Warriors and probably like six, but I have a very, very low degree of certainty. And the only reason I wouldn't pick them in seven is because, yeah, because I think that home teams don't lose in game sevens, by the way, which is one of the biggest advantages the Rockets have. If they can force a game seven, they have a huge advantage. Yeah, and speaking of Curry getting right, I'm I'm surprised we didn't talk about this. Mbaa Mute was a huge boost to the Rockets and their defense and everything they do. They're so much more disciplined when Mbaa Mute is on the floor. Like, he, he just doesn't miss rotations. He's very crisp in how he runs the floor. Uh, and that's it. Sounds weird to say, but he really does make a lot of cuts on offense. Like he cuts a lot, and he he runs out in transition. The Rockets like to find him running deep, and he uh, he's missing a lot of layups right now. But I'm I'm sure that's it's, a lot of that has to do with the shoulder and the nervousness of him going up with the ball. Like the Rockets don't want him dunking at all. Like I don't want him dunking at all. I'd rather he miss layups. Then dunk the basketball. <laughs> like, like, it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's gotten to the point where like I, I'm just deeply afraid for his shoulder. Like in that in re-injuring him, and we're in the final stretch, and no team. Like if the basketball gods can give us anything, just give us a healthy Warriors Rockets, both sides, healthy Warriors Rockets. Everybody wants to see it. Everybody, everybody's been waiting for it all year long. Um, that's all we want. That's that's all. It's all there's left, and. If if we can get that, it'd be such a such a blessing. I mean, there's still this this round left. We can't, you know, we're only three games into these series. We shouldn't uh, we shouldn't leave them behind right now. Which is uh, why I, I'm praising the basketball gods to give us a yes. healthy Western Conference yes. finals. Yeah, uh, we get to see what happens to the Pelicans. I I'm not hopeful that the Pelicans are going to win another game in a series, but kudos to them for blowing out the Warriors. Uh, and I think, like I said, we're going to, we're going to learn a lot about the Rockets with how they respond tonight, because it'd be very easy to, to chill and, uh, just kind of not go a hundred percent, but they have a real chance to, to effectively end this series. Right. Uh, to step on their throw a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. To go back into Houston up three, one lets you close out in Houston. That is a huge deal. Like it is, there is a huge difference between being up three one and being tied two two. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, and I know there's been jokes about three one leads and all, but it, it is extremely difficult to come back from a three one lead. Like it is statistically and historically extremely difficult. <laughs> In recent years, it's, it's it's happened a lot more, but it just it just doesn't happen. Like I guess recently, like the variance in three point shooting has really caused three one leads to be really not as not as big of a mark as it was before. But it, we've it, also had a lot of teams who are similar to each other in quality, uh, and right. then you get more kind of. I think you're right with that, and also closer quality of teams. But the Rockets are significantly better than Jazz. So if the better team goes up three one, especially with two or three blowouts, well, you know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that, that's exactly how I feel. Um, yeah. I mean, we pretty much talked this all. Like, we're pretty much done with the Jazz until. The series is over. I, I don't really have much to say on this. They put up a great fight. Uh, I, I want to see how they respond with, with a healthy Ricky Rubio if they get him back in this series. Uh, they'll probably get him back in like game 
five-ish if he comes back. Like they said, 10 to 15 days. So that's around game four, game five. Like maybe he comes back for tomorrow. I, I, it just, I, I have a hard time believing that because there hasn't been any reporting on on Ricky Rubio's return. So you're probably looking at a game five return, if if anything. Um, and you know he he's a big force for that team. Like he is legitimately a positive offensive and a positive defensive player for the Jazz. So. That's a real. That's something to look out for. Other than that, I don't really have anything else to say on this series. I'm I'm kind of waiting for this thing to be over. Count much like the middle of Rockets <laughs> Wolves. Like I, I, well, I'm, I'm at that same. Yeah, point. like in a lot of playoff series, I think a lot of the adjustments have been made. Like it usually only takes three or four games for all the adjustments that are going to be made to be made in these playoff series, and then they just kind of play out how they're going to play out. Which right. is sort of a dirty secret. It's not like it's not always just like a chess match of back and forth coaching. Eventually, both teams have kind of maximized things as best as that iteration of them is going to be able to, and they just kind of duke it out till somebody wins. Right. Some of the the greatest adjustments I in playoff history have happened around game three and game four. Right. Like or, or, or like you know early in the series, they just doesn't it doesn't happen game six and seven. Right. Like unless we're talking about a critical suspension or like a. You know, a, a crazy blowout. injury or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you don't get much game changers late into a series. But hopefully we don't get any injuries both sides. Hopefully we don't get any injuries on the other side of the bracket. The basketball gods, if if you're if you're truly looking out for us, please give us a healthy Warriors Rockets. We've been asking for it all, all year. That's all we want. We don't want anything else. Like, we're not asking for any particular outcome. Just give us that. That's all we want. That's all give we want. A, Hey, I'm going to ask for a healthy everybody. Just healthy everybody. A healthy everyone everywhere. No more injuries. Let's just see the NBA the best it can be. The best two teams duke it out. Let's, let's see it happen. Um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher. Give us a follow on Twitter at Red Nation News at Do Not. Uh, give us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. Please, it help, helps people find the show. And yeah, guys, good night. <laughs>